Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For cables, connectors, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And buy the ham station. Get your new radio or antenna by calling 800-729-4373 or go to hamstation.com. It's ham radio. Hey, good evening, everyone. It's time for another edition of Ham Talk Live. It's episode number 41. ARRL retired COO and key collector Harold Kramer, WJ1B, recorded live on Thursday, December 1st, 2016. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight, uh, we'll be joined by Harold Kramer, WJ1B. And we'll take your calls live in just a few minutes. Last week was Thanksgiving, so we took the week off uh, to give thanks. And uh, two weeks ago, we were uh, honored by the presence of last man standing producer John Amadeo in N6JA, um, who was here to talk about ham radio on the set of Last Man Standing. So if you missed that show, uh, you can listen anytime at hamtalklive.com. Or you can download it from iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or you can listen on YouTube, as well as all the other episodes. Get your questions ready to go for Harold. After the interview, you can call us on Skype. That username is HamTalkLive, or you can call us by telephone. That's probably the easiest way. Uh, that's 812-NET-HAM-1. Again, the phone number, 812 812- 6384261 You can also tweet your questions to us. Our Twitter handle is at @hamtalklive. So I'll be back with Harold Kramer, WJ1B, right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you in part by Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics has been the Ham's dime store since 1978. When you need connectors, mobile and handheld antennas, cables, or adapters, visit Scott or Jill at a Hamfest near you. Or you can order online at pl-259.com or call 920-435-2973. Stock up on those supplies like PL-259 and end connectors, SMA adapters, audio cables, soldering supplies, mobile antennas, and hand 
jam sticks. They're silver-plated in connectors are even used on the International Space Station. Tower Electronics carries MFJ, Comet, Daiwa, OPEC, Workman, and Hampro products. And don't miss their 0% off sale going on now. Tower Electronics, online at pl-259.com. Proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. All I want for Christmas is a TS-990 and to listen to another episode of Ham Talk Live. Hey, we'd like to thank Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show tonight. To help bring you Ham Talk Live, they'll be at the Ocala, Florida Ham Fest this weekend. And next weekend, they'll be in Tampa. Or you can call 920-435-2973 or visit their website at pl-259.com and be sure to mention Ham Talk Live. Ham Talk Live is on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here on hamtalklive.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen to the archive on the website or download it from most popular podcasting websites. Our guest tonight is Harold Kramer, WJ1B. He's been an amateur radio operator since 1962. He's the retired chief operating officer of the ARRL. Prior to working at the ARRL, he was uh, in the cable television and broadcast industries, including some time in uh, Connecticut Public Radio. He was hired as Chief Operating Officer of the American Radio Relay League and the publisher of QST and QEX magazines in February of 2005. Harold retired as the COO in March of 2016. He is now a contributing editor for QST Magazine. Harold holds an amateur extra class license and a general radio telephone license, and he is an official emergency station, a volunteer examiner, a life member of ARRL, and a past emergency coordinator. Um, He has also been an adjunct faculty member at the University of Hartford and other local colleges, teaching communications and electronics. He's also involved in local government in the city where he resides, Cheshire, Connecticut, And he holds an AAS from the University of Hartford and a BA and an MA from the University of Connecticut. Usually operates CW, PSK 31 and 63, uh, Ready, JT 65 or JT 9. And he has quite an impressive collection of telegraph keys and other telegraphic apparatus. So Harold, thank you and welcome to Ham Talk Live. Oh, thanks, Neil. Thanks for inviting me. Well, in your 11 years as the the COO of uh, ARRL, uh, what are some of the highlights of, of some of those things that you uh, accomplished that you wanted to see happen at the league? Well, I think one of the things I'm really proud of is that I really increased the uh, emphasis and involvement on public service and emergency communications. You know, as you said in my intro there, I was an EC here in Connecticut, and uh, public service uh, was always my thing in amateur radio. So uh, help start things with the staff like the Aries e-letter. That wasn't there until I got there. So now we have a source of uh, electronic newsletter, things like Ham Aid, which 
former chief development officer, Mary Hobart, helped start right around Katrina, which gives equipment to people who lose their equipment in disasters. And we ship that stuff all over the world. And we now, I'm going to use the pronoun we because it gets a little tough otherwise. Sure. I'm used to using it for 11 years. It's a team uh, effort. Yep. Yeah. And the ARL has uh, now, when I started, it didn't really have any full-time emergency management people, but now it has two full-time staff members and has really improved the relationship with many of the served agencies. I think also um, it was kind of a bumpy start in 2011, I think it was, but uh, helped get a new website up for the ARL. The old website was getting pretty long in the tooth, and Ironically, this one is now six years old, so that's it's getting a little long in the tooth. But it was a tough job to get that new website up there. Um, yeah, I remember that, that was that was quite the uh, quite the ordeal to get all oh. that all that done yeah. and and yeah. keep it all formatted and consistent and, and yeah yeah it was, over, uh, it was a big a big deal almost two hundred embedded databases on yeah. The of course, the 2014 centennial year was a real highlight, you know, with the uh, centennial convention in Hartford uh, to hear guys like Craig Fugate speak, you know, the head of FEMA and Joe Taylor. That was a really amazing event. And it was the first time the ARL put on a national convention of its own since, I believe, the 30s. Uh, so that was a pretty amazing effort. And the centennial CUSO party which made over a million CUSOs and involved every single ARL member was worth a point, if you remember. Yeah. I used to like that. I was worth, I think, 140 points or something. Yeah. Yeah. You got the bonus. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. Um, Helping the education department, building that up a bit, you know, uh, ARIS contacts. Uh, I went out to a couple of those. Those are pretty amazing to see and working with instructors. Um, I think with the great staff of the ARL really worked to improve the quality of our publications and our content. I had worked in TV and radio for many years, so I had a a background in content production and had some really good people at the ARL. So I think I would list as my one of my accomplishments is improving the quality of the books and getting many of the books online as Kindle editions, which – Every month I was there would continue to uh, to sell even more Kindle editions of the ARL books, and I think more of them need to be in electronic form. I mean, that's the way the world is going. Yeah, it's it's always going somewhere. It's, you yeah. know, it hops from one technology to the next. So right. Yeah, that's that's a that's a big deal, and you know, I, I was just thinking back um, yesterday. I think it was. That there was this thing called Callbook. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, that if you wanted to look somebody up, you didn't just you know hop on the internet and go to you know nope. Q- QRZ or whatever and and, right. and and look it up. You had to get out this big phone book and, <laughs> and look it up yeah. and and hope that they hadn't moved since the last year you bought one and right and you know and and how much it's that's changed. Oh yeah. Well, you mentioned phone books. We don't use those anymore either. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, in line with that, I think I'd say the digital edition of QST uh, was one of the things I helped accomplish with the staff. 
And uh, that was not an easy thing to do either, uh, figuring out what the business model would be and which vendor to use and how it's going to be distributed and what extra content would be added. You know, it has a couple of videos every month in it now, usually by the lab guys talking about the new products. So that was a a pretty big leap. Um, Other things that come to mind is uh, improvements in the lab. You know, we were talking about Rob Sherwood earlier, but uh, with Ed Hare and Bob Allison and Zach Lau and Mike Gruber, I think uh, during my time we really improved the lab. The uh, type of test test equipment was all upgraded, uh, and particularly uh, being able to evaluate some of the newer rigs. You know, they were getting beyond the measurement of the test equipment that existed. So I would list that as uh, as something that Ed Hare, who is still the lab manager, W1RFI, uh, working with him, we really, uh, and the board, who had to allocate the money to do it, really improved the, um, and Bob Allison, who's the test engineer, really improved the capabilities of the lab. And also I would put down uh, the physical building of W1AW needed a lot of work when I was there and uh, working with Joe Carcia did a lot of that. And by physical, I mean things like the roof, you know, just like any other building, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not a monument. The roof had to be done. Uh, things like the windows, the sidewalks, the heat systems, lots of things got improved at W1AW over the last 10 years and, and not just antennas and rigs, but the, the building itself. Uh, and I think I would list the uh, strategic plan, the new strategic plan that I worked on the last year with a with a board committee. I think it's a pretty solid effort. It's available for anybody to see out on the website. And uh, I think working through that and trying to determine what the ARL is going to be doing the next five years and a little further out than that, uh, having the privilege to work with some of the guys on that committee, like Jim Fenstermaker, who's now... Uh, a VP of the ARRL and Greg Wyden, who is now a VP of the ARL. It was a it was an amazing effort. We started out by doing having a, a company, uh, Redex, a third party, do a, a survey of the membership to determine what their think thinking was, and and uh, and kind of based a lot of our effort on that. So I think I'd list those things. One more personal thing uh, that I wouldn't list in print or anything, but. I, I enjoyed doing it. I think I licensed up. I taught license courses in the building. So I think I probably licensed 15 to 20 people. Sure. With, with tech or general licenses. And that was a very uh, rewarding things to do. And I felt it was important for staff members, uh, to be honest, even if they never went on the air, uh, but to go through the process of learning about amateur radio, uh, taking the exam, dealing with VEs, getting a license and a call sign so that when they spoke to members or did other things, they had gone through the process themselves and understood what it was involved and how proud you feel when you finally get that call sign. So that that's kind of where I'm coming from. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was so, so fortunate to, uh, to come out there for a week and, and in the teacher's Institute and, and got a glimpse at that, lab and and went over to w1aw every day on lunch and uh and saw a lot of those upgrades and and those were were uh 
very, very well done, um, and uh, just just amazed at uh, at those upgrades. So yeah, so good job. <laughs> Thanks. That was. Uh, that that was uh that was one of the highlights um you know mm. i have always said that um i've never been to a professional development better than that one and uh, the opportunity to do that out in newington at headquarters and and get to go over on lunch uh and and get on w1aw and and, and show some of these other teachers uh, how it's done um, you know, we had uh, two or three of those teachers become hams by the end of the yep. week, and and they took their their test right there and ran upstairs and and filed it and got their call sign. <laughs> so uh, it was a great way to to yeah. get into ham radio for them. Yeah, those TIs as we call them. You know, part of uh, that education that I mentioned. Uh, we have some great instructors. I don't know who your instructor was. But we had some great instructors: Deborah Johnson, K one DMJ runs that program for the ARL, and she really developed a good core of instructors. And they do between two and four a year of the Teachers Institute. Uh, if people don't know what they are, they train teachers in not just ham radio and not primarily ham radio because you've been through it. Oh, Pretty yeah. much electronics, fundamentals, digital technology, a little bit of robotics, and then a little bit of ham radio thrown in there. So... I think those are pretty good programs. You know, I also was th- thinking about it here. One of the other things uh, I think I'm proud of is just uh, a, a business thing in that I really uh, worked with Dave Patton, NN1N, and Sharon over at um, the awards department to improve the ARL's award processing and participation. Um, DXCC, WAS, uh applications are now flowing much better <laughs> than when I started. So um, that took a lot of work to get right. People used to wait a long time, uh, but pretty much changed a lot of the process. Now have you can submit DXCC cards through the website online. Um, and of course, Logbook of the World, when I started, I think had 25,000 uh, users. Now it's up over 90,000 users. So a lot of stuff. In 11 yeah, years. There, and there certainly, I didn't do it all. I, like I said, I had a great team at the ARL, really outstanding group of very dedicated people. Yeah. Well, Mark Spencer was my uh, instructor oh, yeah. for that. Uh, he he built the whole thing and, yes, he, and he did. Uh, did a fabulous job. Well, I do want to, uh, before time gets away uh, too much further, I do want to switch over to your key collection for a little bit. <laughs> Um, so tell us about some of your prized keys and, and which one is, is your favorite and, and let, let's okay. talk about the keys for a few minutes here. Okay. You know, one time I was at a company presentation and, and somebody was introducing me and they said I was a key collector and people thought I meant the kind of keys that went into locks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have car keys. I have door yeah, keys. Right. Yeah. I have, house yeah, keys. Yeah. 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 I had to say, no, no, it's telegraph keys. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Um, I think, um, I, I, I like a lot of the keys that I have. Um, I like the ones best that really tell the story about who owned the key or the history of the key that as collectors say have some kind of provenance, you know, there's a story associated with it. Uh, I think those are the, those are the kind I like to collect the most. And I've really, 
got a good collection of, and I'm never sure how he pronounces it. It's either McElroy or McElroy. I, I've heard both. Uh, but he, uh, Ted McEl McElroy, um, was at one time billed as the world's fastest telegrapher. They used to have contests, like at the World's Fair and stuff. This guy could copy, I think, like 90 words a minute on a mill. Wow. Amazing. And he started a company. He made beautiful keys, uh, tear-shaped stream keys, they're called, uh, and beautiful bugs. Uh, and they, um, so I have a lot of those that I've collected through the years that I've found. Um, they kind of tie in with the other part of my collection that I like, which are keys from New England, actually. All the McElroy keys were built around the Boston area, so they're all kind of New England keys. And I have a couple from Connecticut. Um, at one time, Connecticut, where I'm from, in Waterbury, used to be called the brass city of the world. And lots of metal was made in Connecticut and worked in Connecticut. We had the skilled craftsmen and we had the water power to do it. So uh, there were lots of shops that made metal things. And uh, one of them was, uh, and clocks, uh, one of them was called the New Haven Clock Company. And I have one of their telegraph keys, which is kind of rare. I just kept watching, looking for one, and I finally found one. So I like that. And then in the town next door to me, in Meriden, Connecticut, there was a company called the Connecticut Telephone and Telegraph Company that um, made toy keys and practice keys. They're on my website. And uh, I've, I've managed to find a couple of those through the years, which is pretty cool uh, to have these uh, fairly elaborate toy keys um, th that were made by that company that's right next door to me. Um, there's also some um, toy keys that I like as well. And I, I wrote a QST article on my toy keys. I got a pretty good response to it. Some of these are from like the Boy Scouts and some of them are from, uh, they're sort of toy and practice keys. I have a couple from Russia. One of them, my boss, uh, actually two of them, my boss, Dave Sumner, brought back when, in one of his trips to Eastern Europe. And they're little wooden base keys with little cheap metal things, little plastic handles on them that they used to train the equivalent of the Russian Boy Scouts. So those are kind of cool. And I have a, a, a toy practice key from A.C. Gilbert, which is also a, a New Haven company here in Connecticut, or was a New Haven company. And people know um, A.C. Gilbert Company from erector sets, you know. Most boys had erector sets when we grew up, or at least those of us who were interested in those kind of things. Sure, sure. So that's kind of the way I've focused it. You know, the uh, the McElroy keys and Keyswood stories. I have a little naval key. Navy key, uh, you know, it's uh, made for the U.S. Navy, and it's just a very innocuous-looking straight key. And... The guy I bought it from sent me this whole story about it was his father's key in World War II, and he was in Hawaii, and then when they moved into Japan, he took the key with him there, and he worked in intelligence, you know. And it, it's a very innocuous-looking device, but it's got quite a little history to it. Sure. And the one we posted uh, on uh, Twitter and Facebook was one that was a clothespin, pretty much. Oh, yes. That was um, a gift. That's called a, a Wild Woody key. I didn't see that. I'll have to take a look at that. But that's uh, those were hand-built by Dave Ingram. On a, Dave wrote two or three books about telegraph keys, maybe more. And I met Dave, actually, in Huntsville because uh, he was from uh, the Huntsville area. And, you know, I had read all his books, and I had him here on the shelf. And uh, 
we had a really great conversation and then we kept in touch for many years. You know, Dave passed away a few years ago. We kept in touch for many years uh, via email and he gave his friends, as he said, these wild woody keys and they were made from a clothespin. That's kind of an unusual, uh, usual key. I have other, some other unusual keys uh, or one of a kind keys, which I really like. Uh, Jerry McGregor, KD5JH. E, it's on my website too. It's like a wooden base with like almost like a hacksaw blade for the uh, for the lever and a like a knob you buy in a hardware store for your bureau. So that one's pretty cool. And I have uh, it's not rare. Kent Engineers makes a replica of the first key made by Alfred Vale uh, and a Army scissors key, which looks like a scissors. So there's no end. Well, maybe now, but there was no <laughs> end to the – even now people make custom keys – to the inventiveness of people who make um, telegraph keys, which are really just single-pole, single-throw switches, or if you use a paddle, it's a single-pole, double-throw switch. But there's really some very ingenious and in some cases very beautiful designs. Day-to-day uh, here at my home station – I use a Begali simplex key, which is a, a dual lever paddle, which is a great key. And I have another station, uh, a smaller station up at my mother-in-law's house, which is about 40 miles from here. And uh, there I have a Bencher BY-1 paddle that I use every day. So uh, I started this, you know, I had collected them before I worked for the league, kind of on and off on a casual basis. But then when you go to a lot of ham fests, they're small and they're, and they're cheap, you know? Sure. So uh, rather than hauling back a receiver or a transceiver, you know, from Iowa or something or Colorado back to Connecticut in my suitcase, I, I sort of got in the habit of looking around for keys at the flea markets. And that's how I've accumulated most of them, to tell you the truth. TSA doesn't know what they are sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that can, that can cause some problems. Yeah, they're easily explained. Yeah. All right. Well, we do need to take a break here, but uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of your telegraph equipment besides the keys, and and we're going to take some calls uh, when we come back. So uh, we'll be back here in just a moment after this message from the ham station right here on Ham Talk Live. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by the ham station. For over 37 years, the Ham Station has sold new and used radios, antennas, accessories, and equipment to hams everywhere. Give Dan or Jeff a call at 800-729-4373 or order online at hamstation.com. Ham Station carries all the major brands like Icom, Yezu, and Kenwood, and they have a wide selection of radio scanners, MFJ accessories, Heil Sound products, and Amplifiers by Mirage and Ameritron, Kushcraft antennas, and more. Easy online ordering is at hamstation.com or call 1-800-729-4373 to place an order and talk it over with the experts. The Ham Station, proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. Oh yeah, you're talking ham radio, baby. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. Join the conversation. Call us on voice with Skype at Ham Talk Live or give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. 
Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. Welcome back to Ham Talk Live. The Ham Station has you covered for both new and used equipment. Give Dan or Jeff a call at 800-729-4373 or go to hamstation.com and tell them you heard it on Ham Talk Live. And be sure to listen here at Ham Talk Live every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time at hamtalklive.com. Also check out our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Just search for Ham Talk Live. Well, it's time for your calls now. If you have a question for Harold Kramer, WJ1B, give us a call. The phone number is 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. We will start taking calls here in just a minute. Uh, you can also Skype us at Ham Talk Live, or you can tweet. Uh, if you'd rather type uh, than call, you can tweet us at Ham Talk Live. Um, so let us know, but I do want to pick up, uh, Harold with one thing we wanted to do, uh, before the break and that's, uh, you have some telegraph equipment besides keys. So tell us a little bit right. about that while we're, uh, taking some okay. calls here. Well, you know, bef- before there was electronic telegraphy, when oscillators were invented and, um, there was landline telegraphy that was pretty much electromechanical. Um, so I have, uh, a bunch of devices called sounders, which are really, uh, the current goes in, there's a couple of, as a magnet, it then pulls on the lever. Oh, I should, I should have brought one over here so you can hear what it sounded like. Wait a second. Live, live demo here. Yeah. Let's see if you can hear this. And, and, and your static's back, so. Oh. <laughs> Better now? Yeah, I think you got it now. Okay. Can you hear that? Yeah. Yeah, that's what a sounder sounds like. Originally, uh, telegraphy, the sounders punched a paper tape. And, uh, you know, a long strip would be a dit, uh, a da, and a short little bit bit on the the paper tape would be a dit in the office. And then they pulled off the tape and transcribed the message. But after a while, they were able to hear this and copy it by ear. And they eliminated the paper tape. But uh, I got a bunch of sounders. Uh, they all have magnetic coils. They have a little bar that pulls down. Some are vertical. Some are horizontal. Like I said earlier, a lot of them have a story. People will tell me, well, my father worked in the telephone office, uh, te- telegraph office or my grandfather, and this was his sounder. Um, the first one I got was from my wife's Uncle Jake, who worked on the railroad. He was a postal guy on the railroad. Uh, in Springfield, Massachusetts. And uh, that was the first sounder that uh, I was given. I had never had any before. So sounders were part of the electromechanical era of telegraphy. In each office had them. If you ever see an old movie or something that's authentic, you hear a lot of sounders in the background going click, 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 click. Um, the uh, other things that I have for electro non-electronic telegraphy, I have a bunch of KOBs, which are called key on board, which is a board with a sounder and a telegraph key that was used either for practice or some uh, telegraphers carried them around like mechanics carry around their toolboxes today. And when they showed up in an office, they just plug it in and they had their own sounder and their own key. And they're all on uh, wooden boards. Some of them are really nicely finished and stuff. So that was kind of a different different era and then i have a bunch of other stuff i've just sort of bumped into through the years um what i have a western union mechanical call box i don't know if you've ever heard of that 
but it's uh, it's on my website and it's a box where it was mounted on the wall of a business and you turn the handle and it would wind back like a little clock, but it would send a number, a specific number of pulses back to the telegraph office. And they'd look up what the, where the numbers are from and a messenger would be sent to your business to pick up your telegraph to send. Uh, also have a number of buttons and pins. Uh, telegraphy um, before radio really was a startling technology. It was, you know, the Internet of its day. Uh, before telegraphy existed, um, the fastest you can move data was probably a horse <laughs> and then a locomotive, you know. But telegraphy, electricity moves pretty much at the speed of light. And uh, all of a sudden, the world was connected together, undersea cables and lots of other things happened. So to me, it's always been an amazing technology to kind of study and learn about and acquire some of these devices, which are actually pretty cheap to acquire unless you're into some really esoteric stuff. So it really was uh, a technology like the Internet that changed the world. So that's what uh, that's some of the other stuff I've accumulated through the years. Yeah, very good. Well, give us a call now. It's 812 812- NATAM1, 812-638-4261. Give us a call right now, and we'll uh, get you on the air, and you can ask your question, or if you've got a comment about uh, a key or, or whatever for Harold, well, give us a call. Again, it's 812-NATAM1, or Skype us at Ham Talk Live. And we've mentioned your website a couple of times. Uh, let's go ahead and give the uh, address yeah. for that. So uh, you do have several of your keys uh, right. up there on, on the website. Right. www.wj1b.com. Okay, so wj1b.com. Yeah, and um, it's a I good, get a lot of people good website. Me. Yeah, thank you. I get a lot of people contacting me through the website. There's a contact form there asking me to identify keys or value keys. Probably get a couple inquiries a week off that website with questions. You know, people send me a picture of a sounder and say, what is this? <laughs> you know, sure. I found it in the attic. Uh, you know, they've Googled it. Um, so gotten. I've also acquired some pieces that way. People say, you know, I found this or I had this and are you willing to buy it? Uh, so few people are looking at the website, I guess. If you, uh, Google keys, it, it comes up somewhere in the list, I guess. Sure. Well, you've got some, uh, some great pictures up there. So give us a call, 812-NET-TAM-1, 812-638-4261. If you have a key question or, uh, anything about, uh, Harold's operations and, uh, his past at uh, at the league why well, give us a call 812 net ham 1 812-638-4261 or you can tweet us at ham talk live uh, while you're while we're waiting uh for some calls here uh i asked you about your your favorite key and you said you're, you're using the um the begali is that right. is that your favorite uh it's my favorite to use yes so what's and, your favorite to own? Um, I have a beautiful McElroy 300 stream key that's chrome, uh, which is really a beautiful key in my opinion. So that's my favorite one. I have a picture of me holding it on my QSL card. 
and uh, it's really a nice-looking key. But, you know, real telegraphers don't like chrome keys because of the reflection. That's why a lot of keys are black, because if you're sitting in an office all day and the sun hits the chrome, it supposedly, you know, can get in your eyes and distract you. So there are an awful lot more uh, gray and black keys than there are chrome so I only have two or three chrome keys in my collection. But that McElroy is a really nice little key uh, all the way around. I've never used it on the air. I guess I should try it on the air one day. If I could remember how to send with a straight key. I'm so used to using a paddle, uh, an iambic paddle, that I have sure. to remember how to do it. <laughs> you know, the other, yeah. the other one. It takes some getting used to. And, and those yeah. bugs. The bugs. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, that, that's yeah. an adjustment period on those yeah. things. Yeah. I've never been able to send well with a bug. You know, I'm so used to using, I've used a paddle for so many years. And I've got a bunch of keyers here in the collection that I've acquired. Again, mostly at Hamfest. People sell them for 20 bucks, 10 bucks, you know, older keyers. Uh, you couldn't yeah, really I have a paddle. The, oh, I saw the one uh, that I used for a long time, the old Heathkit. Yeah. The old yeah. Heathkit keyer. Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't really have a keyer until someone invented the. Uh, you couldn't really use a paddle until someone invented the electronic keyer. I've I've heard different stories about who the first one did. Halicrafters had a very early one. Just think now, it's one chip in a, in every transceiver, right? Nice. You don't need it. It's pretty easy to do these days. You don't need a big box with a power supply, and a bunch of tubes and a multi vibrator circuit. Quite a change in technology. Um, well, what are some things, um, switching over to back to the league for a minute, uh, okay. what are some, some things that, that you're hoping to see, um, happen, um, in, in the next few years now that you've, you've left, but maybe you got started on and, and handed it off. What, what are some things that you hope to see, um, uh, go on or continue over, uh, over at the league? Okay, well, some of the things I started that I'd like to see continue or expand, um, I'd like to see more social media usage. I think that's the future. I think that's where I used to say young people are, but I'm not so sure. I think it's across the spectrum now, you know. Uh, but uh, they have a very good Facebook page that was started when I was there. Sean Kutzko, KX9X, runs that now, and it keeps expanding and expanding. But I'd like to see even more. They just started a podcast, uh, probably do more podcasts, and um, I'd like to see some more online courses, which were sort of stumbling along for a while, because they're so difficult to do. But we used to have a, an online technician course, uh, and one of the things I was trying to work on before I left was getting another one back up and running. That was a pretty popular course, but when the question pool changed, it became obsolete. So that's one area I'd like to work on. The other one is, um, we talked about a, a little bit earlier, the more digital publications. You know, why isn't there some kind of digital version of the handbook? You know, maybe it's three or four little books, but right now you've got to buy that big, heavy book, and it's got so much information in it. But digital, um, digital books, and uh, League publishes QEX and NCJ as periodicals. Um, to me, QEX would be great in digital. Uh, you could add a lot more stuff to it, um, schematics and software 
programming and all kinds of things. So it, the business model has to be figured out and the technology. And I didn't think it was there when I left, but I think it's going to get there. Um, Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh Pet. Pet. Got I got a call. Couple more. Oh, we, we got, got a call. We okay. got a call here. All right. We have a call. It is Ms. Marty Soloway, Mr. Chicken with Fries. Good evening, Marty. Good evening, Neil. Yeah, what's uh, yeah, what's your question I, I, here for Harold? Yeah, I've been listening to the conversation all evening, and it's been absolutely terrific. And I just had, uh, well, actually, I have a lot of questions, but I'll keep it to two short ones here. And I guess what I wanted to really ask was what, this is this is purely opinion, but I wanted your opinion on the way in which licensing is regulated um, in the U.S. And I've, I'm, I'm intrigued by the way how other countries have, have um, identified or created things like the, the foundation license and uh, other more simple licenses than what the U.S. has that allows like low power uh, HF licensing, um, etc. And what you think as far as the way in which we are licensed in the U.S. compared to other countries, how effective do you think that is? Are we doing it right? Hmm, that's and a great I can, question, Marty. And on top of that, I can give you two minutes. <laughs> oh, boy. That's a hard question to answer. Uh, I don't think our license classes are, are optimized now. I think the technician license is not a good entry license. You know, you really just get a little bit of HF. Uh, you get some VHF, some UHF. You can do public service. Um, I don't think great uh, i'm not sure more hf is the answer uh i mean right now with the technician license you can run a lot of power on two meters but you can't do 25 watt jt65 or psk31 very easily so uh you know uh, i'm not really sure where it's going to go i know the arl board right before i left put together their committee to study that so some they'd probably appreciate some input i don't think there's an easy answer uh, to that question. Uh, I know Australia has that foundation license that you mentioned, and I don't know if it's been all that successful. I know some countries uh, have more stringent, a lot more stringent requirements than we do. They require people to actually um, get on the air or uh, part, have a certain amount of participation and activity before they can upgrade. Um, so I don't have a good answer to that, but I don't think it's 100% right quite yet. I yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's terrific, and I, I'm interested to see as far as I, I think you hit the nail on the head, and I know we're running out of time here, but I'm just I'm intrigued to see where it goes, and I think you raise a very good point as far as the way in which um, kind of the the licenses as 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 much information as they may have, how little they actually apply to what we do in ham radio actually, and the other thing I wanted your opinion on is you kind of briefly hinted at it. Uh, you can't run 25 watts on JT65 with a technician uh, license on 20 meters, but it's completely legal to run 1,500 watts on 10 gigahertz. I, I find that yeah. mildly concerning. Yeah, it doesn't quite make sense, does it? No. Thank you that, so much. I think, I think that technician license was put in when those upper bands were not considered as worth as much and before uh, digital modes existed. So um, I think the whole thing needs a good looking at, you know, 
And I know they put right when I was leaving, they put together that board committee at the last board meeting I attended. Tom Frenet, the New England director, put a motion. K1KI. Yep. Yeah. To study the whole situation. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to end okay. it there, uh, Harold. But thank you. And Marty, thank you for calling you, in and, uh, and a shout out to the Phasing Line podcast. Episode two just came out. So so check out Marty on that. And that's a wrap for this week's uh edition of ham talk live i'd like to thank my guest harold kramer wj1b and everyone out there uh for listening and calling in and invite you back next thursday night at 9 p.m eastern time when bobby graves kb5 hav will be here to talk about mcom and the hurricane WatchNet. for a list of all of our upcoming guests visit hamtalklive.com so for now this is neil rapp wb9 vpg saying 7375 and may the good dx be yours Seven three and good luck from Ham Talk Live.